Today is Youth Sunday, and we'll be looking at making disciples of young people through our church community and through our parenting and through our family. So I want you to think about those three categories of making disciples. Through our church community, through our families, and through our parenting. Today's sermon title is The Design of Discipleship, Obedience at Church and at Home. Again, the design of discipleship. Obedience at church and at home. Now, today's Youth Sunday, and I have a special place in my heart for Youth Sunday, not just because I'm the director of youth ministries here at Christ the King, but because I was a youth at Youth Sunday throughout high school. Every, sun, every Youth Sunday for four years, I was taking part, like you young folks were taking part today in singing and leading us in worship, and I've been preaching since then, I preached my first sermon at a youth Sunday that was 20, about 24 years ago, and I've been preaching ever since. I owe a huge debt of gratitude to people like Linda Chambers, who changed my diapers and taught me in Sunday school, all the way up from the time I was a young infant to the time I was older. She was in the nursery with me, and then she was my Sunday school teacher later, and then Butch and Norma Bundrick. Sunday school teachers, kind of like the Spanglers with the 345 charge. I uh, owe a huge debt of gratitude to um, my uncle, Fred Berry, who taught me in youth group, Phil Boykin, who has since gone to be with the Lord, and Tom Craig, who got me reading my Bible and following Jesus. He challenged me, why don't you read your Bible? as we, he would trick me into teaching the Sunday school class. He, he would ask me for references. I had some ideas about who I thought God was, and he would send me off to read my Bible and to come back and argue with him. And it was Tom Craig and I arguing for about two years in the periphery of three or four other people there in the Sunday school class. And then Tom Craig moved to Texas, and they made me the director of youth ministry. And I've been in youth ministry over 20 years. 22 years now, I believe it is, because of a Youth Sunday. Now, Youth Sunday has a special place in my heart, but I'm also nervous about Youth Sunday because it sends a message that somehow maybe the other Sundays aren't Youth Sunday. Well, as a liturgical church, we celebrate Pentecost, right? But that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit isn't involved in our services the rest of the year, right? Amen? So youth belong in our service and belong in leadership Every single Sunday is Youth Sunday. And I like to see it that way. And I want you guys, you youth, to be praying about who preaches next year at Youth Sunday. I would like this to be my last Youth Sunday sermon. So if one of you would be able to step up here and, and preach, I would be delighted. I'm sure David would be. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He said, yeah. So we'll coach you through that. But every Sunday should be Youth Sunday. Our focal verse this morning is the Shema. In Hebrew, it's Shema Israel, Adonai, Eloheinu, Adonai, Acha. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. Moses goes on to say, These are the words that I command you today 
They shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk about them when you sit down in your house and when you rise up and when you walk along the way, when you lie down and when you rise, and you shall bind them as a sign upon your hand. And they shall be frontals between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorpost, the gates of your house. Now, my wife and I just moved on Thursday. We didn't go far, just next door. But one of the first things I did was to affix a mezuzah on the right side of our door with this verse. And the Jews did that, and they would bind the law on the phylacteries on their head, on their tassels. They would put them on their arm. They would bind God's Word to them. This is the Shema, to hear, to listen. It is the traditional Jewish confession of faith. It is from the Hebrew word, which means to hear, to listen, to pay attention. Now, to the Jew, to listen is to do. There is no distinction. Now, many of your parents have asked your children to listen. And sometimes you, you have had to say to them, did you hear me? And if you've had to say that, they have not heard you. Because for them to hear you is for them to be doing what you have told them to do. And this is the Jewish understanding. To hear is to do. Listening and obeying are one and the same. There is no difference. If, if you heard, you did. We obey what we hear. Now, many of you know on my day off, I am a living history interpreter at the Museum of the Bible on Fridays. And I put on the costume and everything. And I speak to the general public about what it's like to live in the first century. So in a sense, I live at least one day of the week in the first century, at least in my own mind. And there I, I play a carpenter or an elder of the synagogue. And we tell the audience that we are doing carpentry. And as we are doing our trade, as Rebecca is cooking in the home, she is teaching her daughter's Torah. And I am teaching my son's carpentry as I am also teaching them the ways of God, the Torah, the law, the Word. Young boys would commit the Torah to memory, the whole thing. And this is why Jesus, a Jewish boy from Nazareth, was well-versed in the Torah because his father, Joseph, taught him the law, the Torah. Now reflect with me on a few questions for a moment. I, I shared with you some people, some adults in my life that have shaped my faith. And the reason I'm standing before you as a Christ follower and as a minister of God's Word is because adults in the church, like yourselves, parents, my grandfather showed me who Jesus was. He's a Baptist minister, I need to say that. Um, and I never understood a thing that he said from this pulpit for years, up until the moment God moved in the Holy Spirit and I gave my life to Christ. But my grandfather lived out, fleshed out Jesus to me in a way that I could see how he lived his life and see Christ in him long before I understood a word about Jesus that he spoke. See, he lived out the gospel. You have people like this in your life. Think for a moment. Who is that person who introduced you to Jesus? Who modeled and shared Jesus with you by how they lived their lives? Chances are you have a couple of people in mind. Most certainly many of you have been influenced to follow Jesus by a family member. Many of you have been influenced by another adult or a church leader to follow Jesus. 
These people most likely modeled the Shema to you. Their lives reflected the love and commitment to the one true God which you read about in today's Gospel reading. To love others as Christ has loved you. These people love God more than anything else. This love is expressed at the core of who they are and they poured forth this love of God from their heart. They taught through their words, but more importantly, through how they lived their life, their deeds. The faith they lived out in their lives and their homes was lived out and walked out along the way. Now we don't walk along the way anymore, but we drive in our cars and we can talk to our children about Jesus in the car, when they wake up, when they lie down. I love the sweet prayer time my daughters and I have. They are finishing the prayers. My oldest daughter, Grace, she prays the, the Lord's Prayer. She knows it by heart. We always tell our kids that mommy loves you, daddy loves you, your sister loves you, but most importantly, and they finish the sentence, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. And they know the Shema. They're learning the Shema in English. Uh, but they, they can say it. We are called to make disciples of all nations. This is how God has designed the family to work to make disciples and the church. We are called to make disciples of all nations to influence this next generation, those in these pews here, certainly, but those outside of these walls. We are called to influence this next generation to be followers of Jesus. This is a high calling and it's desperately needed. The next generation, it's called Generation Z. Now, I'm a gen, part of Gen X, and there's the boomers and the busters, the Gen Xs, and my wife, I think, falls on the line, are almost the millennials. But now we got Gen Z. What letter comes after Z? Oh, God, pray for us. Is this the end? Yeah? I mean, what, what, what are they saying by saying this is Gen Z? Um, one of the most connected generations technology-wise, but it is the most disconnected and lonely, lonely generations relationally and incarnationally speaking. Gen Zers and millennials will quit a job to be more connected to people. They want relationship over paycheck even. This is a lonely generation, and NPR has even done a story recently upon this generation and its loneliness and disconnected. Hyper-connected and hyper-disconnected, paradoxically. David Kinnaman, the president of the Barna Group, in his study, Gen Z, the culture, beliefs, and motivations of shaping the next generation makes this contrast between the Hebrew and Christian way of thought, he calls this Jerusalem, and the Generation Z's thinking, he calls this Babylon. In his study, Kinnaman says that Jerusalem has faith at the center, while Babylon has faith at the margins. Does this sound familiar? Jerusalem is mono-religious while Babylon is pluralistic. Jerusalem is slower paced while Babylon is accelerated and frenetic. Jerusalem, it focuses on homogeneity while Babylon is about diversity, but not in the good, true, or biblical sense of the word diversity. Jerusalem has central control while Babylon is open source. Jerusalem focuses on a simpler life, while Babylon has a bittersweet tension between simplicity and complexity. Finally, Jerusalem, the idol is false piety, false religion, while in Babylon the idol is fitting in, not missing out. FOMO, right? You know, you've heard it? 
I've had it. Have you had this disease? Fear of missing out, FOMO. We have all had it at some point. This is Babylon. With Gen Z, the top influences or forces forming this generation is technology. This generation is called screenagers. The next influence is parents or families. But family does not influence Gen Z for their sense of identity or self. This generation is not looking to parents or families for their sense of identity or self. These relationships are complicated. Kinnaman says that Gen Z's parents may be overly involved, helicopter parents, in many of the wrong ways and too detached in many of the ways they should be involved. Let's see if we can unpack this a little bit. For example, parents can be aggressive in shaping the education of their child, extracurricular activities, sports, getting into the best college, having a high GPA, the best of the best, honor roll, all of these things, while being passive about spiritual matters. In other words, ah, you don't have to get up for church if you don't want to. We're not going to push this religion thing on you. You can make this choice on your own. And they give the choice and preference over to the young person. This would be unheard of in Hebrew culture, and still is. Next, the influence of Gen Z is security, money, success, a dollar sign. Gen Z values identity, gender identity, and safe spaces. Next, they value diversity. All beliefs are of equal validity. In other words, all roads lead to the same God. There is no absolute truth. And inclusivity and acceptance is an ultimate value. Lastly, Gen Z sees no ultimate value system or prevailing worldview. There is no, no one way or value. There, in other words, there is no right or wrong. If the Shema is the confession of faith for the Hebrew, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, and you shall have no other gods before me, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your might, the confession of faith for a Gen Zer would be, Hear, O people, God, little g, is you, and whatever you need, God, little g, to be. You are who you say you are. You choose. You shall love happiness and success because you deserve it, and that is all there is. That would be the mission statement. This generation needs Jesus, and they need us, and we need them. They are the church, you see. They need uh, to be discipled. They need and crave connection, guidance, and mentorship. Reggie Joyner in his book, Think Orange, imagine the impact when family and church collide, observes that the average church, now get this, the average church, the average youth pastor, somebody like me, somebody like Reverend Glade, well, we have an average of about 40 hours in a given year. You, you, you hear me? 40 hours in a given year to influence a life. In contrast, Joyner says, the parent has 3,000 hours per year to influence a life. Now, I am super excited about the year that we just celebrated in youth ministry. We had one of the greatest 
years. We studied God's story, creation, fall, rescue, restoration. We ended strong with the end of the year cookout. There was like 60 people there. Parents are sending their kids to youth group, many of which do not even come to this church. And we have had a successful year studying God's word. It's been amazing. And I'm grateful for the parents who have made youth group a priority for their students. Now, the downside of that is, I hope parents don't think we're getting it done at youth group. We're not. Again, if your child came 75% of the time, I may have had them 40 hours in this year. Maybe. You have an opportunity to influence your youth 3,000 hours per year. These are staggering numbers. And even with this reality, Joyner says that only one out of five people, one out of five people, say that they have ever been contacted by their church to discuss their responsibility to influence their children spiritually. Wow. I hope this morning is our invitation to this very important responsibility collectively as a church family to influence the children of youth and youth spiritually. This is, you don't have to be an employee of Christ the King to disciple a youth or child. Now we will screen you and train you. We care about the safety of our youth, but we invite you to get to know a youth, to pour into them, to let your relationship with Jesus rub off on them to mentor them, to learn their name, ushers helping youth usher in the morning, youth leading us in worship through song, acolyting, youth teaching, even preaching next youth Sunday, teaching Sunday school classes, evangelizing their friends at Christian clubs at their high school and middle school. I would love, we have Young Life at T.C. Williams. I would love to see a Christian club started at George Washington. Your youth can do this. You can help them. You can mentor a youth. Last I checked, there were 10 young men at Casa Chirilagua that need men to mentor them. That is our ministry partner. There are youth waiting on you to mentor them in our community. Walt Mueller from the Center for Parent and Youth Understanding, a newsletter that I, I put into the youth ministry email weekly, says that as a parent, you have been given a primary responsibility for the spiritual nurture of your children. He quotes Deuteronomy 6. And because you grew up in a world that is different from the world of your teen, I just shared some of those differences with you, you must view this calling as a cross-cultural ministry venture. It is, it is missions, you see. It is a missionary venture. I would add, as a church community of believers, we also have been given this responsibility for the spiritual nurture of our children and youth. Notice I am including children in that, as well as youth. In the baptismal covenant from the Book of Common Prayer, we make a commitment to one another. The baptismal covenant asks this, will you who witness these vows do all in your power to support these persons and their life in Christ? Raise your hand if you've ever been to a baptismal service in an Anglican church. That is mostly all of you. You have made this commitment. You say we will. That is how we respond to that question. 
These are the more than just words that we say. This is a vow to be taken seriously, which is in line with God's Word and God's design and desire for us in Matthew 28 to go make disciples out of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even into the end of the age. God is with you in this mission. Parents are instructed by Paul in Ephesians 6.4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. If the church is the family of God, and we are called to make disciples, I believe that we are also to bring children and youth up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This task takes all of us, every single one of us, every one of us. No one gets a pass or has the luxury of sitting on the bench. There's too much at stake. There's too much work to be done. The harvest is truly plentiful, Jesus said in Matthew 9, but the laborers are few. Pray the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into the harvest field. This is not just to be the, the holy huddle. We're supposed to break and go, you know? That's what we're supposed to do. You know, you know, right, that this is just one day a week we gather, but then we go live it out for six days, right? And come back and do it again. The model of parents and, and adults and the church committing to the spiritual welfare of the children and youth is also reflected in this church's mission statement. To worship our crucified and risen King and the rich Anglican tradition and to make Him known in the community outside of these walls by what we say and what we do and to grow as a church family. We are called to grow together, all of us together, and to make Him known here in the community by what we say and what we do. We are called to help one another grow. G. Campbell Morgan said that the church did most for the world when the church was least like the world. The church did most for the world when the church was least like the world. We might have to slow down. We might have to reprioritize. How much is our church excelling at being a separated people? In what ways might our church have slipped into sameness with the world? Are we keeping pace with them? Or are we keeping a different pace? We might be called to a different pace of life as we are discipling our youth and children. I'll close with this from David Fitch in his book, Seven Practices for the Church on Mission, in his chapter, Being with Children. He expresses our baptismal covenant well. He says, as a church, we have ways of grafting parents, godparents and communities in a supportive and communal practices that together, as part of regular family life, allow us to pray, teach, read, and direct the young person's life. We have ways of initiating young people into adulthood, like graduation, right? And confirmation. We have a confirmation for next week. We have confirmation next week on the 10th. I know Hans is graduating. Anyone else graduating in here from the 8th grade to high school? We have ways of acknowledging one another. Hans, we're proud of you. May the Lord bless you and keep you, brother, and guide your next steps. All of these practices are inseparable from what it means to be the church. 
What we often miss, however, is the reality that Jesus becomes present in these spaces as the adult becomes present to the young person. The space between them becomes the place of God's faithful presence. I'll reframe it. When you choose not to disciple or mentor a youth or a child, you are missing something of the presence of God. He comes and dwells in that space. And you learn so much more than you ever dreamt that you were teaching. I've been mentoring a young man in Casa Lago for the last year. I have been blessed beyond measure from what I've learned and, and how I've grown in my relationship with Christ through that experience, as well as working with your youth and children here at Christ the King. Don't miss what God would like to do to be present. In what ways will you experience Jesus in a young person's life here at Christ the King? How is God calling you to mentor or disciple a youth in this community? At the least, what youth can you introduce yourself to today or this week? Who can you help out? How can you partner with a family here or ministry to disciple a child or youth? We have wonderful ministries here at Christ the King. Engage them for His glory. Now may we come to know Jesus and His love as we love others, fulfilling this commandment that we love one another as Christ has loved us. Recognizing that greater love has no one than this, that someone lay his life down for his friends. And we are his friends if we do what he commands us. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, you have blessed us all here at Christ the King with the joy and care of our children and youth. Give us calm strength and patient wisdom as we help bring them up, fulfilling our baptismal vows to do all in the our power to support these persons in their life with Christ. That we may teach them to love You, the one true God, with all of their heart, soul, and might, and to love whatever is just and true and good. Following, their good following the good example of our Savior, Jesus Christ. God, our Father, You see our children and youth growing up in this unsteady and confusing world. Show these young people, all of us, with them, the high calling of serving with them. That Your way gives more life than the ways of this world. That following You is better than chasing, chasing after these selfish goals. Help us and them to take failure, not as a measure of our worth, but as a chance for a new start. And give us strength to hold our faith in You and to keep alive our joy in Your creation through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen and Amen.